Welcome to the OKC First Church of the Nazarene podcast. At OKC First, we are learning to do three things, friendship with God, friendship with one another, and open friendship for the sake of the world. For more information about OKC First, please visit OKCFirst.com. As a matter of fact, that's how I will begin today's sermon with a series of thank yous. Holy Week is a a, a very meaningful time. I think if you ask us um, up and down the line, we will tell you as a ministry team that we we enjoy Holy Week uh, the most of any of the other weeks of the year, but it is the toughest week of the year. And the thing is, this year, I think the the theme and the key word has been participation. We have never had as much help pulling off Holy Week as we had this week. So I'm going to just list off a bunch of things, and then at the end, I think it would be appropriate for us to say thank you however you'd like to say thank you. But man, Thursday night was fun. Thank you, Jason, and all of the folks who helped put that night together. It was a kid-friendly, really fun atmosphere, and then there was such participation around the room at the end and it, was, it had to do with foot washing and hand washing. And so I invite you right now to next year's Monday-Thursday service. It'll always be on Thursday because it's Monday-Thursday service, so... You know when it is during Holy Week. And then Friday night, the Tenebrae service. Oh, we didn't get a chance to say thank you to the choir, but choir, thank you very much. They were back there, not seeing all that was happening out here. And all of this happened out here from interns to Aaron and Brittany Bowlerjack and all of the people and Brandon who's had a hand in getting the sanctuary ready day in and day out for Holy Week. Just so much work went into Friday night. And Cody, that painting. That painting. I don't know if you noticed this, but if you actually exited Friday night after the Tenebrae service in darkness and in silence and you happened to go that way, the first image to greet you was Cody's painting. And so thank you very much for all of you who had a part on Friday night. And then Saturday, all church cleaning day, which was, I think, holy. <laughs> There's something about all church cleaning day when 70 of you showed up. We've never had 70 show up for that. And so lots of things got done and handled because so many of you came and participated. Thank you very, very much this morning. Got to go to the Word and Table service at 8.30 with Dr. Tashin, and it was just beautiful, 90 or so in there for that service. And it was just a great day. And then breakfast, y'all. Breakfast was really good, and we were set up tables for about 100 and had to set up about double as many tables, so thank you. And for the pictures, Zach, for taking pictures, we actually been scrolling all of your pictures in here while you were making your way up here. We got to see all of those pictures, and we'll make them available to you again. And then for this service, for all of you who helped get this sanctuary ready, for all of you who have helped get the music ready and all of the look ready, I want to say Thank you. Holy Week doesn't happen by accident, so thank you for all of you who participated to help bring all of this to fruition, and now it'd be a great time for you to say thank you, however you'd like to, for all the folks who helped. Easter is a season You may have already noticed that, wait, they're doing the Easter egg hunt next Saturday? Yeah, because Easter is a season, y'all. It's not just a day. This is an entire season. Now, I admit, we we struggle to know what to do with the Easter season. And as a matter of fact, you can do the Easter season poorly or you can do it well. The truth of the matter is we're still trying to figure out how to go about living in the light of the resurrection, we kind of get, especially in this neck of the woods, we kind of get how to live in the shadow of the cross. We kind of get that part. We can kind of work through mentally, okay, there was sin and there needed to be a sacrifice and Christ was this ultimate sacrifice and so we benefit somehow, one way or another, from this sacrifice. We kind of get, instinctively, we kind of get how to live in the shadow of the cross. But people... And so much of what we've said, we are saying for the 19th year now. But my friends and family and faith, listen to me. The resurrection makes the cross work. Without the resurrection, this is still a good story, right? Someone heroically dies on behalf of other people. It's heroic and it's beautiful. It's not unique. It happens. But the resurrection makes this make so much sense. The resurrection makes the cross. We are people who live in the light of the resurrection and not 
the shadow of the cross. The cross is great and indispensable, but we aren't just forgiven, we are unleashed. (laughs) We are unleashed in the resurrection. Now, we are still trying to figure out what that means, and I've already admitted to you, I am too. What does that mean? What does that mean to live in the light of the resurrection? How are we different? How are things different? Because I would tell you, something changed dramatically and drastically. At the moment of the resurrection, all of creation, not just people, all of creation was changed in that moment. But how? Well, we're going to take an entire season to kind of work through that how question. How does the resurrection work, and how does it make me different? And we're going to do it using this particular sermon series and this title, Strangers in a Strange Land. I heard a good friend of mine say in a sermon one time, Christianity is just a very odd way to be alive. Now we're getting there. Now we're getting there. To be Christian actually is an odd way to be alive. We're going to talk more and more about that. And science fiction is going to help us. Do I have any sci-fi fans out there? Let me hear you. Okay, all right. They're odd people, but that's okay. That's what we're talking about this season. It's what we're talking about. We're going to have science fiction as, as helping. It's going to be helping us along the way to understand what to do with this. Cody, another beautiful painting here with this empty cross. What do we do with this resurrection? So science fiction will help us and other stories of the Bible with which we are very familiar, probably more familiar than we recognize or realize, those stories will help us to make sense of the resurrection. And my hope today is that you will leave here feeling not just forgiven, but unleashed, but unleashed. So, uh, let's, let's uh, take a look here. Science fiction. Now, um, there are lots of different iterations of science fiction, and we will, throughout this series, access a clip here and there, and it might be from a movie, it might be from a series, it, it might be from a television show, it might be from those old, 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 creepy Twilight Zone episodes. I don't know. It could happen. But here's something that we find in science fiction. There are a lot of storylines, but there are some that are more popular and prevalent than others, and here's one of them. Everything is bad here. We have to find somewhere else. Heard that one? Everything is bad here. We've got to figure out how to get somewhere else because everything is bad here. Already, we can see how some Christians really get into science fiction because some Christians believe everything is bad here. We've got to get somewhere else. That's not Christian. (laughs) Hear me say this. One of the things we are saying when we say that we live in the light of resurrection, we are saying this, that God has in Christ begun in earnest the process of redeeming and restoring all of creation, and we get to help out, and all God's people said. We are not trying to figure out a way how to get out of here to somewhere else. Y'all, it's not like Interstellar. (laughs) Now, Interstellar. Very good movie, and I hadn't seen it. It's a very good movie, but here's the plot line. You ready? Everything's bad here, and we gotta get somewhere else. If, if, in fact, you have not yet seen it, I'm gonna play the preview for you. Amen? Easter Sunday. Okay, let's see this. It's appropriate for all audiences. What are you going to do with it? I'm going to give it something socially responsible to do. Can't we just let it go? This thing needs to learn how to adapt, Murph. Uh, gang, let's mask up. Like the rest of us. This world's a treasure. It's been telling us to leave for a while now. Your daughter's generation will be the last to survive on Earth. You're the best pilot we ever had. Get out there and save the world. Everybody ready to say goodbye to our solar system? To our galaxy. Here we go. down fast, don't we? Actually, we want to get there in one piece. Hang on. 
work if the people on Earth are dead by the time we pull it off. Well, we got this far, farther than any human in history. Well, not far enough. Make it count. Where's the mountains? Those aren't mountains. They're waves. Yes, you are. Yes, you are. You might have to decide between seeing your children again and the future of the human race. We'll find a way that we always have. Such a good movie. I'm telling you. Now, here's the thing. Here's the thing. Some of you are already offended. <laughs> that I've taken some issue with the movie Interstellar. But hear me, as a Christian and as a preacher on Easter Sunday, I'm taking some umbrage. I'm taking some issue with the movie Interstellar. It's a great movie, and you should see it again. It's a great movie. But Interstellar has to do with salvation by getting everyone somewhere else. We go somewhere else. But salvation ultimately has to do with the fact that God keeps on coming here. God keeps on coming here, yes, to rescue and save and salvage you, the person with the soul, but also to rescue, save, and salvage all of it. Behold, God says, I am making, wait a minute, help me. Does God say I'm making all new things, or does God say I am making all things new? All things new. So the first way to understand the resurrection, this is where we're going to get some help, not only today by looking interstellar and saying it's not that. But the first way we're going to get some help in understanding the resurrection is this. God is doing something that kicks into motion this process by which God makes all things new and all folks and all creation is restored or at least has the opportunity to be restored because of this, the victory over death, the victory of the resurrection. Man, that's a great place for an amen. I'll, I'll wait. Okay, not bad. Well, it's kind of bad. But there are stories that will help us as well. Sometimes we don't know what to do. We don't know how to think about the resurrection because we have put too much distance between the resurrection and other stories that are reminiscent, if you're paying attention, of the resurrection. Other stories that could give us a clue of what's going on. Take, for example, the story that is listed here. There's a couple of stories actually taking place here in the book of Jeremiah. Now, here's what's going on. The book of Jeremiah, Jeremiah is a prophet in the southern kingdom, and the southern kingdom has just been wiped out by Babylon, completely wiped out. The southern kingdom, where Jerusalem was, where the temple was, where the wall around Jerusalem was, the Babylonians have come in, and they have knocked down the wall. They have ransacked the country, and they have just desecrated and destroyed the temple. And the first part of the book of Jeremiah, you hear God saying, yeah, that's how angry I am with my people who have forgotten how to be my people. Yeah, a lot of this fits in the category of judgment. Yeah, a lot of what you see around you, cataclysm, catastrophe, kind of like they were seeing the movie Interstellar, a lot of what you see around you, the carnage that you see around you, it has to do with you wandering away from me, says God. And God's wrath has been on full display. And what this last verse of chapter 30 says is, now that wrath is going to be turned toward your captors, the Babylonian Empire, the people who have taken my people into captivity. The fierce anger of the Lord will not turn back until God has executed and accomplished the intense of his mind in the latter days, you will understand this. Go ahead and advance it for me, Wes. At that time, says the Lord, I will be God of all the families. Okay, so what has happened here pretty quickly is God's anger, which was at one time aimed at the people of God because they had wandered away, now you can see God's heart turning, and now God turns God's anger on the means of captivity, the enemies of the people of God, the enemies of faith, and now God is saying, I am going to wipe them out as they have wiped you out. In other words, God says, I'm on the way to rescue you again. Again, I'm on the way to rescue you 
I will be God of all the families of Israel, and they shall be my people. And it's going to be just like that other old story that you hear that is rehearsed all the time that we actually, in one form or another, rehearse every week here, that old, old, old Passover Exodus story, again, where God comes to the aid of God's people by wrestling the enemies of God all the way to the ground. You see, the enemies of God take the people of God into captivity. The people of God cry out. God hears the sa'ak. God hears the cries of God's people. And God finally burns with anger and goes rushing toward those captors and wrestles those captors to the ground and changes everything. So just like God's about to do with the Babylonians, God says, remember, this is what I did before with Pharaoh and the Egyptians, the people who survived the sword. We think these are the swords carried by the Egyptians. Pharaoh's sword found grace in the wilderness. You know, God understood his relationship to the people of God in the wilderness way back when in relational, maybe even marital sorts of terms. In fact, in the book of Jeremiah, God says through the prophet Jeremiah, hey people, didn't we have it good when we were like newlyweds? When we were in the wilderness walking around like newlyweds, when you knew that I would be there to help you at every turn, to serve you, to nourish you, to put shoes on your feet, to put food on the plate, to give you water from rocks even, weren't things really good? And the answer is yes. And even then, the people wander away and wander into trouble. But that doesn't negate the fact that God throughout history can be seen as that God who takes aim at the enemies of God's people. And so the people cry out. And in one case, you probably all have seen the Prince of Egypt. Everybody seen the Prince of Egypt? It's like required viewing around here. Or the Ten Commandments, or if you've heard the story at least, you can kind of see it there. It's a gospel story. God comes rushing to the aid of God's people, wrestles God's enemies to the ground, and on the other side of the Red Sea, here's the next thing, hear this, on the other side of the Red Sea, there is a new situation altogether. There is a new hope, there is a new possibility, a new future, and a new people group. You guys, on the other side of the Red Sea, they are no longer just a bunch of ragtag slaves. They are a nation. It's different now. And yes, the people, they suffered exile, not once but twice. But here you hear God saying, I'm going to do it again, just like I did it way back when in the Exodus. I'm going to do it again for all of you who are in exile. And I'm going to wrestle your enemies to the ground. I'm going to bring you all the way back home. And I'm going to give you a new hope, a new future, and you'll be a new kind of people now rescued from the tyranny of the Assyrians and the Babylonians, even though your exile in so many different ways is a self-inflicted wound. God says, I will come to you and rescue you and scoop you up and make you into a new kind of people anyway. Anyway. Again, I will build you and you shall be built, O virgin Israel. Again, you shall take your tambourines and go forth in the dance of the merrymakers. There's going to be lots of joy, lots of partying around. Again, you shall plant vineyards on the mountains of Samaria. The planters shall plant and shall enjoy the fruit, for there shall be a day when the sentinels will call in the hill country of Ephraim. Come, let us go up to Zion, a rebuilt Jerusalem, a rebuilt temple to the Lord our God, all the way back to that place where we can understand God to be God, we can understand ourselves to be the people of God, now free from the tyranny of the old, old Pharaoh, now free from the tyranny of the Assyrian Empire, now free of the tyranny of the Babylonian Empire. Okay, great. What does this have to do with the resurrection? Okay, we're getting to that. It wasn't really a political victory so much that Jesus won in the cross and the resurrection, but there were enemies. There were enemies that held God's people captive, but this time, rather it being a political entity, it wasn't Egypt, and it wasn't Assyria, it wasn't Babylon. Now the enemies holding God's people in captivity gripping them so that they stay in anxiety and in fear. Those enemies are called, according to the Apostle Paul, sin and death. 
Now, we've talked about this around here. There are some people who believe that early on in the Bible, you can find some evidence that people sinned and they somehow brought about death. I'm not so sure about that. I kind of think it may go the other way around, actually. I think, and we've said this before, that perhaps death or the fear of death makes us sin. Death and taxes, right? You know your taxes are due on uh, Tuesday of this week, right? Amen. Thanks for coming to church today. Your taxes are due. (laughs) Death and taxes, right? The inevitability of life. Yeah. The inevitability of it all. Maybe we should have said this. Death and taxes and sin. (laughs) You know, that... That that I can't get over, that that is just sort of chronically me, when I look in the mirror, I see myself as sinful and perhaps inevitably sinful, beyond help or hope. Man, I really need God to do something to relieve me of the penalty of my sin because I can't do much about it myself. And that is one of the Christian narratives, but it is not ours. It's not ours. Here's what we would say, yeah, death, the fear of death, the anxiety as it has to do with death can push a person to a sinful place. Obviously, in a violent situation, you can see this, right? One person fearing that he or she is about to be killed may act out and kill another. Thou shalt not kill. So we can kind of see it right there, right? My life is in jeopardy, so I might just take yours. But long before we get to that violent sort of manifestation of what I'm talking about today, long before that, death anxiety causes people to live beneath their privilege as people living in the light of the resurrection. People who are are living with death anxiety, and maybe you don't even know it, people who are living with death anxiety feel like they have to gather as much, fill in the blank, as they can to fend off their mortality as best they can. Gather as much power as I can. Gather as much stuff as I can. Gather as much notoriety as I can. Gather as many titles as I can to try to fend off encroaching death. People who are afraid of death live in a kingdom of scarcity. People who are gripped by death anxiety live in a kingdom of scarcity. And when you live in a kingdom of scarcity, the words of Jesus must sound like nonsense to you. Blessed are the poor. The first or last and the last or first. The storyline of Christ must be nonsense to you. If you are somehow gripped by death anxiety, the fear of death, if the fear of death is causing you to be this person, to gather up all this stuff, if what you're doing is trying to fend off your own mortality as long as you can, then the very person of Christ must be a challenge to your sense of common sense. Because Jesus seemed a little flippant with his life. Jesus seemed to feel like he could make a point Not via strength, but what we would probably call, you guys, weakness. Jesus recognized the fear of death and the sin that is always the constant companion of the fear of death was as powerful in our lives as the Egyptians had been before and as the Assyrians and the Babylonians had been before. Christ realized Christ realized that the forces of death and sin held us and do hold us in captivity even now, perhaps with a tighter grip than Pharaoh could ever have or Nebuchadnezzar could ever have. You guys, it wasn't just swords and spears and whips and nails that killed Jesus. There were people holding those weapons. And there were people behind those people who were holding those weapons who were afraid that Jesus would cost them something, perhaps afraid that Jesus would cost them place, that Jesus would cost them perhaps money. 
That Jesus would cost them their sense of peace, their security. Oh. If you think about it, if you think about it, a lot of folks sitting in a lot of churches and a lot of pews today, deep down, think that Jesus is a great story, but not applicable to today. Because, Jesus, it's dog-eat-dog world out there. There are winners and there are losers. You win a few and you lose a few, but if you don't win more than you lose, then you're a loser. There are power structures, Jesus. There are ways to get ahead, and we know this. You have to have enough muscle to make things happen. That's what it means to be alive. And then Jesus, and then Jesus. Can we agree that Jesus was experienced as a threat to the people around him who were interested in stuff, interested in power, interested in position. Can we agree that Jesus was a threat to somebody? Can I ask you a very difficult question? Is this Jesus a threat to you? The way that you have defined success? Yeah, but I love the songs. Oh, I hear you. I love the songs, too. <laughs> the songs are great. But the songs sing of a Jesus that was and is a threat to the status quo. Jesus was a stranger in a strange land. How strange are you? And so Jesus as God has done before, drew a bead on those who would hold the people of God captive. This time, I don't even think it's so much the Roman Empire as much as it was sin and death. And they do all that they can to Jesus to try to convince him of this very important point. No, Jesus, this is what it looks like when we win. And Jesus absorbed it all and then looked back at them and said, yeah, this is what it looks like when I win. And so, the forces of death, the forces of those who congregated around the anxiety as it had to do with death, they collaborate and they conspire and they do all they can to Jesus. They just can't finish the job because all that Jesus said throughout his ministry about love being more powerful than power itself, all that he said, they thought they disproved it on the cross, ultimately what they did was prove it on the cross. Because again, my people, this is not a symbol that communicates how angry God gets when you sin. This is a symbol that communicates how far God will go to get to you when you sin. And so God in Christ wrestles death and the fear of death all the way to the ground and defeats it. And just like before, God wrestles these enemies to the ground and then creates a new future and a new family, a new community. Mary shows up in the garden on the day that we celebrate every year. Mary shows up looking for Jesus, and if you remember this story, she doesn't recognize Jesus until she hears him call her name. And then she recognizes him. But listen to what he says to her. He says, hang on, don't grab me too tightly just yet because I've got something I need you to do. She was the first preacher. How cool is that? <laughs> I need you to go deliver this gospel message. Do not hold on to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father. Watch for the indication of a new people. But go to my brothers and say to them, I am ascending to my Father, but now also your Father, my God, and your God. In other words, God has done it again. God has wrestled God's enemies to the ground again, making for freedom, a new future, new hope, and a new people known as the church who are supposed to now live as if it's all true. 
and it is. Uh, this was given to us as a gift not too long ago. It didn't, it doesn't, uh, I don't know if. <laughs> Strangers in a strange land we are. Friend of the family gave that to us not too long ago. <laughs> if you met my family, you would understand. Well, in that Christ, through the resurrection, has made for a completely different family, this makes some sense for those of us who may at some point during the season finally understand that we are in fact strangers in a strange land. But if you met my family, you would understand. Maybe we should say this, if you ever met my Christ, my Savior, you would understand why I am the way that I am. Easter Sunday is a great day to decide that it's time to meet this very odd Jesus. I'm having some great conversations these days. I, I am in the blessed position to have conversations with folks who have never been involved with faith before, and that's super exciting. If you haven't done it, you should do it. It helps you. It helps them. But I am also in a position to have conversations on a regular basis with folks who grew up in the church who are asking fantastic questions, who are acknowledging that we have had this capacity in the church to hear words over and over and over again, and somehow they register as familiar, but not yet really understood, like salvation, like holiness, like sanctification. Right? There are some words that we go, uh, hmm, I have heard that word a thousand times. My nodding my head means that I have heard it 1,001 times. <laughs> but do you know what it means Monday? And I'm having those wonderful, beautiful conversations as well. And here's what we're finding. The decisions that we make to follow Jesus are beautiful and right, and we should make them. But they must be understood as starting lines and not finish lines. They must be understood as starting lines and not finish lines. They must be understood as first decisions that must be surrounded by and nurtured by and fortified by a lot of other decisions so that that decision can be helped to come to fruition. And so I get to be in the company of folks who have grown up in the church and who are willing to choose Jesus again. How about you? Now Jason's going to tell you about the friendship folders here in a second, but here's how I want to close before we head to our weekly rendition of a story that is being redefined. Maybe I have talked about you. Maybe you're one of those people who is perhaps brand new to faith and you would like to talk with somebody about what it looks like to make the first decision that leads to all the other decisions that finally lead to Christ-likeness. God can do whatever God wants to do. It is my anecdotal experience that one decision doesn't lead us toward Christ-likeness. It's a bunch of decisions that lead us toward Christ-likeness. And if you would like to talk with somebody about what that might look like, then put your name in that friendship folder, and we will find you. When folks choose to be Christian, and when folks choose to make this a very public decision, the church traditionally has understood that as a great time for someone to be baptized. If you would like to be baptized, and there's another decision that seems like a one-time decision, but it's not here. We will help you to know what you're getting into, and we will, help you, we will also help you to live up to and into that decision that you make as you make the decision to be baptized. If you would like to be baptized to align yourself with the people of God who understand themselves as strangers in a strange land, who live in the light of the resurrection by different rules because, sure enough, God's done it again and wrestled 
God's enemies to the ground, and so we're different. If you want to be aligned with and identified with those people, please write in the friendship folder, it's time for me to be baptized, or it's time for me to remember my baptism. We have a ritual for that as well. If today you would like to pray with somebody to meet this very odd Savior, to be identified with, aligned with these very odd people of God, if you met my family, you would understand. (laughs) We have a lot of ministers here who are in recovery, (laughs) recovering from ministry. That's what I meant by that. (laughs) Who are getting a deep breath. Who are waiting for a next assignment. There are plenty of folks here ready and available to pray with you and talk with you today. Because you gotta meet this guy. You gotta meet this guy. You gotta meet this guy and come to find out this guy has been in pursuit of you for a long time. (laughs) You gotta meet this guy who, if you're not careful, will in fact be a huge threat to who you are (laughs) in the best sorts of ways. You gotta meet this guy who has become this entire movement. One of those movements sort of bubbles to the surface here at OKC First. You gotta meet this guy because in meeting this guy, it might mean that you will find yourself in mesh with a group of people who will help you to live up to and into those decisions to be strangers in a strange land. You gotta meet this guy because long before there's heaven somewhere else, there is heaven here. Remember? Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. You've got to meet this guy, and I'd be honored to help. If you're helping us, would you please come to the table? This is a Passover meal, redefined. Every week, we get to say, yep, God has done it again, and this time, it looks like Jesus. God has again come to the rescue of God's people in captivity, but this time, it's a story of Christ, Christ's love, Christ's passion, Christ's death, but also the resurrection. Dear Heavenly Father, bless these elements. And by them, Lord, strengthen us to be strangers in a strange land. Here, Lord, now, Lord, strengthen us, fund our imaginations, give us some idea of what it looks like to live in the light of the resurrection, fueled as we are and as we will be by the broken body and shed blood. Every week, We take the Lord's Supper here. We are slowly but surely, perhaps imperceptibly, being changed as we every week receive the Lord's Supper. Hopefully, in the process, we are becoming even stranger in this strange land. We receive it here by intention, and here's what that means. It means in a moment, I'm gonna ask you to stand to your feet, exit your pew to the left, and come forward. There'll be four stations here, two in the back. Come forward with your hands cupped to receive this gift of grace. What you get from this God, you get as a gift. You don't have to earn it or buy it or swipe it. So with your hands cupped, come to the person holding the bread. That person will take a piece off and say to you, this is the body of Christ broken for you. Don't eat it yet, but dip it into the cup. Someone standing right there will be holding the cup. When you dip it into that cup, that person will say, and this is the blood of Christ shed for you, and then take and eat. And then, people, on Easter Sunday, find a place to pray and receive, perhaps all over again, receive the freedom that is yours to be a stranger in a strange land. Benefit from the resurrection and the victory won over death 
and the fear of death. It was on the night that he was betrayed that our Savior took bread. He blessed it, he broke it, and he gave it to his disciples saying, this is my body now broken for you. Every time you eat it, remember me. Likewise, after dinner, he took the cup and he held it up before them and said, and this is my blood, the blood of a new covenant now shed for you, and every time you drink it, remember me. All are welcome at this table. If you understand your need for grace, it doesn't matter what you brought with you today. If you understand your need for grace, you are welcome at this table. If you can't come to us, Jason and Katie are already on their way to you. If you would like a moment to remember your baptism, there's a bowl of water here waiting for you. Just dip your fingers in and remember the moment that you were identified with these strangers in a strange land. And now all across the sanctuary, if you would, stand to your feet, exit your pews to the left. Come forward with your hands cupped, the gifts of God for the people of God.
folks are still receiving. I'm going to pray a brief prayer confession before turning it over to Jason to lead us through some prayers of petition and then we'll close our service. Heavenly Father, we confess that we can still be confounded by this resurrection and the implications of the resurrection and how it is that we go about our Mondays, Tuesdays, and all the rest. We confess, Lord, that we need a healthy dose of imagination. We confess, Lord, that we need you to guide us, to move us toward those places where we can find that imagination. Help us to be, Lord, strangers in a strange land who aren't, in fact, content with just living in the shadow of the cross. But may we understand the holistic meaning of words like salvation, holiness, sanctification, Christ-likeness, faith. God, I pray for all of those who are ready to make that decision to know or to know again of this Christ who saves. I pray that you will help us to be the kind of place, the right kind of environment, environment in which faith can grow and be nurtured and matured. And now, God, hear us as we pray for one another. Continue to weave us together as only you can do. you join me in prayer as you move towards these moments of intercession. We want to pray for those who need specific healing touches and the presence of God in their life. So I know that many of you may have carried a situation in your own life that feels more like Good Friday and Holy Saturday than it does Easter Sunday morning. So whatever situation in your own life, or whatever situation in life of a friend or loved one, you bring that concern now to the Lord? Would you ask for the brightness and the healing and the resurrection power of Christ to be with that situation, that circumstance, and that person?
God, we today pray for your resurrection light and your transformative presence to be in the dark places of our neighborhood, the dark places of our lives, the dark places between relationships. Shine your light and bring healing to places that are dark in our nation, places of violence and darkness around the world. In the very presence of the risen Christ, breathe your spirit, your healing presence, and the light, the resurrection to all of the dark places. And God, would you use us, or we may, to be the body of Christ in your hands and feet as strangers in a strange land. May we be people of this prayer, the prayer you taught your disciples to pray. This morning, church, would you pray with me? And that prayer will be, I believe, in the screen in front of you, if you're unfamiliar with it at this time. And we'll use debts and debtors as we pray. Would you pray together with me? Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen.